Welcome to Season 5 of the For Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wilcoxon, and one of the lay elders here at Redemption Church Gateway. This season, we are going to interview the members of our elder team and their wives. Elders were mentioned throughout the Old Testament, yet were established as an official office within a local church by Paul in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 of the New Testament. The Bible will also use the words pastor, shepherd, elder, and overseer interchangeably for the same role. Each season of life and cultural shift brings new opportunities and challenges for the leadership of any church, and we here at Redemption Church Gateway are no different. As we continue to navigate change while being faithful to Jesus, it made sense for our congregation to get to know the elder team on this season of the podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Bruce and Julie Gilmore. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hello. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks for doing this. Oh, absolutely. All right, let's start with a little bit of family overview. Um, how long have you been married? Do you have kids? Do you have pets? We have been married 40 years. Ooh, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, celebrated 40 this April. April 9th is our anniversary. Did you guys do anything special for the anniversary? We did. We went away to Flagstaff, had a, <clears throat> a weekend. Um, it's been a busy year, so short time away, but it was nice. Yeah. And you have kids, right? We have <laughs> three kids. Uh, we are the parents of adult children. So uh, our oldest, Eric, is 32, Uh Corey, our next son, is 30, and Emily brings up the rear. She's 26 years old. Nice. And any pets? Yes. We oh. have one dog right now. Okay. And that is Nala. Nala. She is a golden retriever. Okay. Did you both grow up with uh, animals in the house? I did not grow up with animals in the house. Oh. My parents did not allow animals in oh, the house. Oh, no. Wait, was that hard growing up and having friends that had maybe pets? Um, it was hard because I always wanted a dog in the house. Yeah. And now you do. And now I have one. So are you guys pet parents or are you pet owners? Because there there seems to be a difference. <laughs> I would say we are pet parents. Nice. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. this one is more spoiled than any other dog we've ever had probably. So. And when did you, did you first get a pet when you had kids or even before the kids? We got two dogs before the kids. And so we treated those dogs like they were kids. So trial run. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so when Eric was born, that created a problem. So we quickly learned mm. that dogs do need to be dogs. Oh, yeah. And so It was a bad day when Eric came home from the hospital for the dogs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Especially one of them was like, wait a minute, where, where are we outside? <laughs> <laughs> So how did you guys meet? You want to share that story, dear? Yeah, we grew up in a small town. Uh, we grew up in Gallup, New Mexico, which is a small town on what used to be Route 66, now I-40. Uh, if you've driven across I-40, you've driven through Gallup, New Mexico. Um, very small town, so, uh, you, you know, when parents do things, it's uh, a lot of, um, you know, interactions our sisters our our older sisters were both in dance and brownies and those kind of things together and so when the moms would go to pick them up they would get in the same car and you know like oh well little kids go sit in the back and so I think Julie was four years old I was five when we first wow. met wow so. wow okay so you met at a very early age but when did the the sparkle when did the spark happen? Uh, I'll let Julie tell that story because she started the whole thing. <laughs> oh, okay. I did. You I, saw him and boom. Well, because it was a small town, we grew up. And our sisters were always good friends, so they were at birthday parties together. So we saw each other a lot. But when I was a freshman in high school, it was the first year that the freshmen were 
um, at the high school campus, I asked Bruce to Sadie Hawkins. Oh, yeah. And he said yes, and we went to the dance that night and had a great time. After that, Bruce asked me out, and I said no. What? You said no? No. Was that confusing, Bruce? Like, she asked me to say to Hawkins, there must be something here. And then you say, let's go out. And you, she says, no. What happened? Yeah, it was confusing. <laughs> you know, I moved on. I, I, I dealt with it okay. Um, but, I, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I, we always, because we were in the same high school, we always knew each other. We were in band together. So, you know, we always uh, were around each other. Um, I think we kind of knew that we there was an attraction there, but I dated... Uh, other people, Julie did. So and it was uh, not until, you know, kind of towards the end of my senior year that uh, we started flirting a little. And then, you know, when after I uh, graduated, I didn't, I, I was going to work a year, stay home a year and work before I went to college. Uh, Julie was a senior. And then we started dating uh, that summer before her senior year. Oh, wow. Now, uh, like orchestral band or marching band, like uh, Friday Night Lights uh, during halftime? Both. Okay. Small, small town, small and, high school. Yeah. You, you know, one part of the season you're in orchestra, part of the season you're on the field. Wow. And what instruments did you guys play? I played the flute. Oh, okay. And I played trombone. Trombone. Nice. Do you guys still play at all? Not those interesting. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Did Julie? Do you play something now? I play the piano. Oh, wonderful! So, uh, so you guys started flirting your senior year, and then how long did it take before somebody proposed? Well, you know, I wasn't such a nice guy towards the end, so Julie broke up with me, and uh, you know, it was realizing that maybe I lost the best thing in my life. Mm. So. That wasn't until I went to college. Yeah. So we dated throughout. We dated a whole year. My senior year. And then I, we came down to Tempe and went to Arizona State. And Bruce was going to Albuquerque to go to University of New Mexico. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So yeah. during that process, um, I don't know, halfway through the year, my freshman year, your freshman year, we, I broke up with him. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, and then, and then what, then what happened? Uh, well, realizing that that was a problem, uh, I've worked really hard to, you know, get back, um, trying to figure out how to, to repair, uh, the mm. relationship, uh, and college didn't go so well for me the first semester. So, um, you know, I went and found the air force recruiter and said, I think I need to get my life together and join the air force. And then Julie and I, started dating um, before I went in the service. And, you know, then that was from that point on, it was pretty serious. Uh, we were engaged uh, a year after I went in the service about, uh, and then married two years after I was in the service. And mm. I was, Julie was 20 and I was 21 when we got married. Well, thank you for your service. How long were you in, you were in the Air Force, correct? Air Force, four years active. Yeah. Um, and then uh, was in the reserves for a couple of years as well down here. Wow. And then where did you, you get married here in Arizona or New Mexico? In New Mexico. Oh, okay. Oh, so, uh, what city? In Gallup. Oh, in Gallup. Okay. Well, that, well, obviously, okay. That makes sense. Um, so then you guys get married and then, and you know, were you guys, you know, stay, you stayed in Gallup? Did you come to Arizona? Like what, what brought you to Arizona? Besides school. Well, we first lived in North Dakota because that's where Bruce was stationed. Oh, my. That's cold. It was very cold. <laughs> and But it was a great place to start a marriage, a perfect place for us. 
Um, Bruce had some extended family there, but otherwise than that, we it was just the two of us. And so that cementing of that early yeah. years of marriage, leaning on each other was huge. There's probably a lot you had to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. I mean, we, we wound up living on married student housing uh, on the campus. Uh, Julie attended University of North Dakota, um, where she graduated with her associates. And it was great. So I was in the service. I But drive off the base, drive to our apartment. And so we kind of had two, a civilian life and then a, the military life. And it was, uh, it was nice. It was really a great time. We, we were poor as church mice. <laughs> we made it work. We stretched every dollar and we had fun. We just, it's just sweet memories of that time in our life. That's awesome. Speaking of church, did you both grow up in, in a Christian home? We, as part of my testimony, is the growing up in as a little kid going to the Methodist church and being in awe of the stained glass windows and the stories that were told, but never feeling like that there was anything else beyond that. And so that's where I grew up as a little kid. And then my sister um, started going to, as a teenager, she got involved with some other friends and they started going to a conservative Baptist church. And so she was so, she just loved that church. And so as a family, we all moved over there. Oh, wow. And that was an amazing thing because it was like, wait a second. I've tried to read the Bible. It didn't make sense. And now I'm learning about Jesus and I'm learning that, oh, he's more than stained glass windows and pictures in a book. And so that began my walk with the Lord was during that time mm. at the at the conservative Baptist church. Wow. And um, you know, what did, like, was your family also kind of having a similar experience of, of growing in the Lord, or was it different? It, it actually was all of us wow. because it was like, wait a second, over here before there was service, my parents served, but this was different. Mm. There was, it wasn't um, a book on the table. It was something that you picked up and you read. Yeah. Something that changed your life. Mm. How did, uh, how did your kind of growing faith and, and uh, seeing Jesus for who he is, how did that change your relationships like with friends and school? And um, It changed it in the way that there were other friends that I had in that group that I knew were believers. Mm. At that time, I didn't know that that was what that was. I just knew that they were, there was something different. And so when I became a believer, that changed that. Because then it was like, wait a second. I'm now having conversations that I didn't have before. Yeah. Because there was a different foundation for that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Bruce, what, what about, what was your home life like in terms of faith? Yeah, we, we grew up in the church. We grew up in the Episcopal Church, um, which, you know, very, very focused on um, sacraments and ordinances, right? So you go through, you're baptized as an infant, and when you're 12 years old, I believe, you're confirmed. And in that tradition, you've got your card punched, hmm. right? Yeah. Two punches, you're a Christian, everything's fine. So I grew up, you know, believing I was a Christian. I had the word, um, and uh, you know, told Julie I was a Christian. 
because that's what was taught. You know, I've, I've done these things, mm. uh, therefore you do that. But it was um, not really growing in faith. There were, there were glimpses of Jesus through my life, and there was a, a kind of a, almost a charismatic movement that came through the Episcopal Church uh, when I was you know, a preteen, maybe, um, called Faith Alive. And that was really something that was like, what is this? And I'm not I'm sure if that was emotion or, or what, but uh, it wasn't, you know, we attended church. My father didn't attend church, but uh, my mom, my grandma, my sister, um, we attended church, but, and, but there was really no faith. Um, and it wasn't, uh, you know, so it, when we got married, we, you know, it was, well, we, we want church in our life. And we moved around and we attended uh, Methodist churches, Lutheran churches, attended Episcopal church once in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And, you know, so it was, we didn't, it was there, but it wasn't uh, in my life. It wasn't a prime uh, in, in what we were doing at that time. Yeah. At what age do you feel like you kind of surrendered and repented and believed in Jesus. Yeah, I would say I was 35 years old. Wow. Yeah. So we'd been married a long time uh, and, you know, struggling in marriage, had two kids uh, living in New Mexico. And uh, I was down here for a conference and, you know, God chose a person to use and chose a place and a time. And uh, my life was changed uh, at that time. It was pretty amazing. Wow. How did that change your, your relationship with each other and your, your marriage? Oh, it made a big difference, a really big difference. Um, I remember when Bruce came back from that conference, and he was like, you're not going to believe what happened to me. I'm like, what? <laughs> I became a believer. I'm like, wait, wait, you've always told me you were a believer. Now you are a believer. <laughs> wait, wait a second. I don't know what this means. But... Over time, it became very evident what that meant mm. because there was a change in Bruce's behavior and his actions, his, how he handled things. Yeah. So, would, I mean, kind of really radical. I mean, like a real 180 in terms of just the way he thought about life and obviously his. I don't know if it would be a 180, but it was definitely a change. Yeah. Wow. That's um, awesome. A different focus for sure. Mm. Um, a and definitely, I would I call it a different foundation because yeah. then all of a sudden now it's like okay, wait a second. Now I'm living on a mm. biblical foundation, not a worldly foundation. Yeah. And so his conversion, how did that affect kind of your faith and how you now saw your relationship with Christ? Um, I guess for me, I don't feel like it really changed that much because I was already a believer. So yeah. it was like. It was more the trying to understand what I thought was before with Bruce and what it is now. Yeah. And that was, that was very different. Um, but Bruce became much more supportive of me joining women's ministries and being involved yeah. um, in that direction. Oh, so that's that was, great. That was encouraging. Yeah. Bruce, what do you do for a career? And I, I obviously know what it is, but explain to me as if I were <laughs> five years old, because I think it's really fascinating, and interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been a supply chain professional for over thirty-five years, and, and have a degree from Arizona State University 
uh, in the field of supply chain. It was a, I actually have a degree in purchasing because uh, in the 80s, that's kind of, they had it broken down. You could do purchasing or transportation or operations and, and I chose purchasing. Um, but I, it, I really have a, a broad swath. So explain supply chain. I think what's really fun now, not because of the pandemic, you know, because it was a very difficult time, but a lot of people know what supply chain is now where three and a half years ago, four years ago, been like, what is it you do for a living? Uh, I used to tell my kids, I said, I'm a, I'm a professional shopper. Like, what does that mean? I said, well, <laughs> you, you know, Nordstrom's, you can go and they have professional shoppers. They help, you know, you know, you get stuff. And, and uh, so for at that time I was working for Intel corporation and I was like, yeah, I, I, I get stuff. I buy stuff for, for them. And uh, so that was always kind of fun. And, and you, there's all kinds of fun games. The, you know, you take people through and show how that works. There's a, a you know, we even use this at, uh, at ASU with students, the, the root beer game. Um, you know, you kind of go through a factory and you have to do supply and demand planning and you screw up and you wind up with two warehouses full of too much product or you <laughs> run out and lose all the money and you go bankrupt. So it's, uh, it's fun to do that. And it's, you know, I've been, <clears throat> I said a career supply chain. I found it very interesting. I'm not, um, highly technical. I'm very process and visual oriented. So for me, it made a whole lot of sense and, and just very exciting to understand how the world works, where things are made, how they're procured, how they're consumed. Um, and it was just like really interesting. So coming from a small town in New Mexico, I go to work uh, as a student co-op for Intel and I'm working with factories all over the world. And I'm like, wow, this is really cool. You know, I mean, I've never worked with someone from Malaysia or China or whatever. And all of a sudden I'm connecting dots around the globe. Um, so that was very exciting. And, and I've, uh, like I said, done it for 35 years. I had a, a, a good career with Intel, worked 26 years for the firm. Um, and so a lot of very uh, intense semiconductor work. Um, and then uh, retired early from, Intel in 2016, and had always really a passion grew to be a college instructor, a college professor. And so when I retired, uh, the package was uh, generous enough that it allowed me to go teach full time at ASU. So I became a professor of practice in the the WP Carey School of Business in the supply chain department, uh, number two in the country, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and you know, they're uh, just. Loved doing that. Uh, it was fun, but knew knew I wanted to get back in the game. Um, uh, thankfully, I still am a, a faculty associate uh, professor, faculty or associate professor, uh, professor, and I I love doing that. They let me teach once a year, and I figured, you know, hey, this is kind of cool. Keeps my foot in the door. Yeah, uh, doing that. And then uh, five years ago, over five years ago, uh, an opportunity at Mayo Clinic came up, and so I changed completely, changed industries wanted to learn something new. Healthcare just seemed like an area that uh, maybe I could apply some of my expertise. Um, and if I decided I was kind of going through, all right, there's very much wanted to, to focus on a culture of a corporation and didn't want to leave Phoenix. And so there was kind of narrowed it down to a, t a couple of <clears throat> firms and Mayo Clinic was one. And if you're going to work for a hospital system, healthcare system and healthcare why not work for the number one in the world? Mm. Um, it is an amazing place and, and uh, just had a, a really good experience there. Um, so we're Mayo Clinic, uh, you know, career. We're Mayo Clinic patients. We're Mayo Clinic, you know, our kids are Mayo Clinic patients. So it's a, 
it's a really, it's a real blessing to be a part of that system. That's awesome. Well, you mentioned COVID and supply chain that everyone kind of now understands what that is, but you were on the front lines at Mayo trying to source, I'm sure, uh, medical equipment, medical supplies in a very difficult time. I mean, what was that, what was that experience like? Um, it was, it was tough. I <laughs> will say that. I mean, we, I remember in, in 2020 when it all kind of started coming apart, we, uh, my colleagues, my peers and I, and, and my boss, we were headed to Florida for a, um, a retreat or a summit, whatever, a planning session for the, for the year. And, uh, it started, it started rolling, right? The first cases, uh, hit the, the West coast then New York started lighting up. Um, <clears throat> so we're like, well, do we even go, um, we made the decision to go ahead and go, and it turned into uh, really a war room planning session. Mm. Uh, so it went from, hey, we're going to plan the year and all the good things we're going to do to, okay, we are we got a problem. And, you know, it, it literally spent three days, you know, walking through how we're going to do this. We're sending messages back to our organizations, do this, do this, do this. And just, you know, it's kind of like we're on the in the command post um, figuring, in that, figuring that out. And then from that, you know, when we all dispersed and got back to our respective sites, everything went into motion. Um, in the Arizona, we kicked into our, our emergency incident command process. So uh, I was sitting in a uh, command post literally for 12 plus hours a day, wow. uh, working through everything. And a lot of it, I mean, people think now it's like, oh, well, you know, doesn't seem like that big a deal because of all the lessons that were learned um, it was a complete unknown. We didn't know how it was transmitted. We didn't know if it was from surface, from, um, you know, quickly we realized it was airborne, which meant that, oh my gosh, there's not enough masks on the planet to, to meet the needs of, of what people are going to need uh, or isolation gowns or all this. So it was really, how do we protect our staff? Because protecting the staff was going to protect the patients. Um, and uh, for us, that was, that was huge. Um, there was a lot of fear and paranoia up front. Uh, I, you know, shortly into it, I, I realized that people needed to see things. Um, I commandeered or went to our CEO and said, I need our largest big conference room, our convention area. And he's like, you got it. And I'm like, I just filled it full of product that we could get because wow. that way staff members could come in because they're all hearing the press. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we had, you know, People showing up the front doors of the hospital, donating everything, which was wonderful. <laughs> but a lot of it was like, let's, you know, it's not the quality that we're going to put on our staff members. Yeah. Um, and so we did that. It was just, it really calmed the fears. People are like, okay, I can walk in there. We were assembling kits for the departments. You know, they'd come in, in the morning, get their kits of product and like, okay, we're, we're okay. And, and it was just, it was just kind of a great reminder of just being able to be very transparent, communicating what's going on. In this case, it was visually. They needed to visually see that product was there. Mm. They, you know, were watching the news. There were many hospital systems that were not in the same position that we were in that we were able to maintain and keep product flowing to our to our staff members. Um, so it was uh, it was an interesting time. Uh, a lot of fear. Um, I mean, I, you know, I remember now, Julie and I. You know, we're going. We go to the grocery store. Uh, we'd bring it home. We'd we'd wipe everything down before, you know, it's kind of like we had these like sterilization processes as it moved into the house. And, and like you think back now and go, 
wow, we really did that. And uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it was, it was fascinating. It galvanized, um, an organization, uh, to come together. Uh, I know more physicians and administrators than I would have ever known at Mayo Clinic because everybody had to come together and really work hard as a team. Yeah. Uh, and which is fun. Uh, well, it's a, it's amazing to see that God orchestrated your, you moving to Mayo Clinic and then, and then being on our, our elder team. Yeah. And then we go through a pandemic and then we have the ability to access the, all the information and the news and the insights that yeah. you had from Mayo because <laughs> Um, I don't know how many other elder teams have gone through a global pandemic and trying to make decisions, mask, no mask, uh, should we meet, should we go online? And so having like you kind of on the front lines, you know, Jimmy Lau being, you know, married to Linda Lau, who's, yep. who's a physician. And so I felt like our team was just so blessed by, you know, um, individuals who could bring us really good information because, you know, how, you know, none of us were equipped to make those kind of decisions. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was interesting. I mean, it was kind of fun. It was weird, I guess, probably a better word of becoming Mr. COVID on the older team, right? And it was, you know, but I was able to, because you're hearing all this noise in the news, yeah. you know, misinformation, everything else, like, okay, let me give you all what is coming from Mayo Clinic. Yeah. You know, probably the most respected healthcare organization in the country. And here's what's coming from Mayo Clinic. And it was just a nice way to be able to, I can share this information so uh, we can reduce yeah. some of the fear. Uh, we also had a wonderful ministry that formed here uh, of making uh, masks for the non-clinical staff. So the clinical staff needed the N95s and the, the medical masks. They had, that was that. So we had to preserve our masks for that. So we made uh, thousands of masks here uh, People came together. We had a, you know, cloth was donated, cloth was purchased, you know, sewing teams. And we just made thousands and thousands of masks that went to Mayo Clinic Arizona, which staff staff members loved. And I loved just walking through the hallways and seeing these beautiful, colorful, <laughs> you know, redemption gateway masks. So, you know, That's <laughs> awesome. I just, I just smiled every time I saw it and, you know, said a prayer. And it was just like, you know, and I knew they'd been all, all been prayer over as well yeah not that that made the magic but it was just kind of like as they were being uh made our, our uh the women of our church were praying for our healthcare workers and our mm. patient their patients and uh and that was just such a blessing to be able to do that well that's awesome so as bruce was building his career in supply chain julie what were you doing keeping yourself busy <laughs> you have a, a couple of kids i'm sure that kept you busy but it, you know did you work outside the home inside the home well you definitely worked inside the home but yeah did you work outside the home and yeah tell us a little bit more when eric was first born we were trying to decide should i go back to work or should i stay um at home and eric had a heart condition. So that kind of changed our direction of what we thought we needed to do. So we decided that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. When we moved back to Arizona, we decided, okay, maybe I could work part-time. And we that didn't work very well. Mm. It just worked much better for me to be at home. So we moved to New Mexico. Corey is born in New Mexico. And from that point... I was stay-at-home mom, which I enjoyed immensely and very thankful for because Bruce traveled. Mm. He, he traveled the world. We always laugh and say he joined the Air Force and thought he would see the world, <laughs> but he didn't. He uh, saw Grand Forks, North Dakota, and started to work for Intel and saw the world. Yeah. 
Wow. But I was able to stay home with the kids and to give them that stability and going to school, sports, scouts, any of the activities they were able to continue to do, and I stayed home for that. And then I went to work part-time for East Valley Bible Church in children's ministry. Nice. And that was fun because Emily was in school at that point, so I was able to do that and work on um, curriculum for the um, elementary yeah. And that that was fun, getting to know a lot of people that way and being involved in the classroom from the standpoint of providing what was needed. Yeah. Well, speaking of Emily, you have a wedding coming up. Congratulations. Yes, yes we do. That's exciting. Yes, less wow. than 90 days away. Wow. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, what else, do, I mean, do you do, um, you know, when you're not taking care of kids? Um, that was a large part of it. With three kids, there was just a lot of driving. There yeah. was a lot of driving friends <laughs> to and from sporting events, scouts, whatever activities they were involved in. And that was a real blessing to be able to do that. Served in the classroom as volunteer. Mm. That was also really nice to be able to be involved in their schools. Oh, that's great. So what do you guys like to do for fun? Just the, either the two of you or even as a, as a family? Seems like we work a lot right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> after the kids graduated, then I went back to work. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I work for Gilbert Christian Schools now. Oh, what do you do for them? I'm the bookkeeper. Oh, okay. And I enjoy it immensely. They've gone from 700 students when I started six years ago to over 2,000. Mm. So it's it's been an amazing place to work. So you both are keeping yourself busy by working. We are. But you don't work all the time? I mean, is there anything you do on the weekends or at night? Yeah, she's, you know, we love to spend time together. Yeah. Um, and that's something that, you know, I married my best friend. Julie married her best friend, and, and so we, we just love time together. It could be out to, to dinner. We could go out to be with friends, card games. Um, we love movies. We used to go to the theater a lot more. Now it's, uh, it seems to be streaming has taken over more of that. But, uh, mm. you know, we love a good show uh, on TV. So um, We so do a lot of taking care of things together now. There yeah. are things that used to be I would take care of because I was home and, and Bruce was working and traveling. So we do yard work together now, clean the house together, dishes, yeah. cook. Yeah. We, we do love to travel and we need to, this is a focus for 24 is to be more purposeful and saying, okay, we're going to block vacation, take long weekends, even if it's just drive to California or drive, you know, north or whatever that might be. Does, so. does she have to encourage you to take PTO? <clears throat> it's Kind of the other way around right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> My better half has always reminded me, Jeffrey, you can take some PTO. It's okay. The company will continue to run if you take a long weekend. Yeah. So, but now you're re encouraging her to, to take some PTO, Wait, take which some is a, which is a really interesting flip because <laughs> it used to be completely the other way around. Yeah, like, you know, when I was. My Intel career was uh, very intense and uh, a lot of hours, and and uh, so when I got off the train, I was like. Julie kind of got on the train when she went back to work full time. It's like, no, we need to figure out <laughs> this. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it is a balance. And this year has been very, has been a very busy year for us, not mm. just work wise, but you know, planning for a wedding and, and other challenges in life uh, creep in, but it's, um, you know, and it's fun. What right now it's just, it's fun. And, and I'm loving watching Julie and Emily work together, planning a wedding, um, and it's, it's going to be, that's just going to be a real joy. And it's like October's coming and it's creeping up on us fast here. Yeah. So, yeah. So how has God used your marriage to help you grow or how, how has he grown you through your marriage? 
I would say the reminder that <clears throat> we're not the most important person in the room, mm. that we have to die to ourselves, um, that there are two people to consider, not just one. And decisions um, sometimes get made really quick when you have to make decisions, um, but we find we do much better if we have opportunities to have conversations and talk about, are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Mm. So I think it's that reminder that, um, first of all, our foundation is in Christ and that that's a model that we need to follow, that we need to not consider ourselves the most important and yeah. be selfish. Yeah. Was that, was that, has that something that's always been kind of you've, you've experienced in your marriage? Is that something you kind of still continue to see? Was that something you really saw in the first couple of years? Yeah, I'd say, you know, it, it, in the first couple of years, it, you know, we really had to be very aligned. And a lot of it was just financially, we were making very little money. Mm. And we, we had very specific goals and, and what we wanted to do. Uh, and then I, I would say for me, work interfered and it was, you know, very much the pendulum switched more in that direction. Uh, and that gets out of balance. You know, I was so blessed that uh, we decided that Julie would stay home because it really enabled me to to do things um, career-wise. But uh, I would say in the past seven years, we've definitely come back much more in the direction of aligning. I still have to (laughs) regularly go, okay, Ozo, it's not about you. (laughs) Uh, You know, and Julie is a wonderful advisor Mm. um, and looks at things very differently than I do. Um, And it's very important to slow down and, and take that time to listen to her perspective. Uh, may not always like it and I have to, you know, but she's more often than night than not. Right. Which is, yeah. which is good. What advice would you give to like a couple that one of them maybe have a job that requires a lot of travel and, and you know, like what advice would you give to that, that young couple who is in that season? I would say to connect every single day. That was something we were very blessed as Bruce traveled. There was not a day that went by that I never talked to him. Every single day we talked, we communicated in some way. And when he did so much of the travel when the kids were little, he still found ways to connect with the kids every single day. Wow. And I think that is an amazing thing. Um, to be able to look back and remember that and to encourage couples as they are starting out and they're doing things in their career is if there's travel involved, connect every day, every single day. Wow. That was huge. I mean, did that just come to you naturally, Bruce, or did someone give you that advice? I mean, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I mean, for us, it was a real priority. I I didn't have a dad who was involved um, in my life that much. Mm. And so I wanted to make sure that that was very important um, in our marriage and in raising our children. Um, and so it was just, it was always important. We, we had a, every once in a while, well, anytime we do a family dinner, it kind of tends to move to family reflections and childhood, what, what you know, those kind of things. And the kids were talking and, and kind of just reflecting on, yeah, the, dad wasn't gone that much. You know, he was always present. He was always there. Wow. It was like, I was gone a lot. <laughs> And uh, we just made it very purposeful, and whether it would be 
celebrations or discipline or whatever. It was, you know, it was just natural. Um, it was kind of interesting too, just kind of looking at the technology arc that occurred during my tra- my travel years, right? So we started with, you know, long distance phone cards, calling in the hotel telephone, uh, you know, ultimately moved to cell phones and, you know, well, that was pretty expensive. So you didn't, you know, got to be a little careful to, you know, okay, iPhones, pretty much everything's free, you know, to call around the world and then to video. So it was just, it was kind of this arc of, in my travel career of, of communication devices and technology, it was, it was pretty interesting to see how that worked out. You also used email to communicate with the kids. Oh, that's cool. Because that would be an individual thing. It didn't involve me saying, hey, dad's on the phone. Yeah. Come talk to dad. It was, hey, I got an email from dad today. Yeah. Golly. So, um, Bruce, you've been on the elder team for seven years. um, But these past five years have been crazy. Uh, We have the election. We have um, the race riots. uh, We have COVID, a global pandemic. um, (laughs) Right. Decisions to, you know, go to online church for a while um, and just a lot of interesting situations to navigate. Like what what have you learned about the team? What have you learned about being part of the elder team kind of through a really interesting five years? Yeah. Um, one crisis could galvanize a, a group of uh, elders well <laughs> to, to work together. We just decided, you know, why not just do four or five global, (laughs) you know, issues. Um, You know, I think um, one of the the advantages, and I really have to credit, uh, you know, Luke and you and um, the the prior elders of, and when we went through kind of that selection and evaluation process, when the the current slate of lay elders came through, and and, because there were, what, five of us, I guess, that came Mm -hmm. through together, um, that was really, really intentional. So we were kind of went through a two-year evaluation, and it's a two-way evaluation. It's not only uh, current leadership evaluating are we the right folks, but uh, um, you know the elder candidates evaluating is this the the right thing to do. So to me, that was very purposeful and very valuable. And, and through that, Luke did a good job of um, various exercises, kind of walking through and learning about each other. So. When the when the storms began, we had already built a pretty decent foundation of relationship, knowing about each other's strengths and and uh, uh, how we lead and how we uh, you know give advice or how we do whatever. So we were pretty well prepared uh, for when things happened. Um, and one of the things I I love about our elder team is it's a very diverse group of people. <laughs> yeah. And when I say diverse, it's like all different backgrounds and uh, different thought processes and personalities and, and how we lead and do different things. Um, but people respect that and listen really hard uh, to each other. Um, and as the, the wave started crashing, you know, uh, on the seawall and then over the seawall and then, you know, <laughs> you know, it was, it was hard. Uh, obviously increased frequencies of meetings. Uh, we were online for a long time, which uh, none of us liked uh, being on zoom calls for elder meetings and things like that. But, uh, 
necessary. And I, I, what I really respect about our group is um, we reach consensus by debating and uh, discussion and, and working through that. And each one of these crises, sometimes we had to make decisions instantly. And it was like, okay, we, you know, we're going, we're, we're doing online church starting Sunday. What's well, Wednesday? Oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. You know, and uh, just being able to be very decisive in those moments and those moments that it needed more thought and reflection uh, to take the time to do that uh, and be purposeful about that. Um, just, you know, I can't remember all the instances of all the, the, because it was, it literally, it was so much. Like I said, one event would have been enough, but we, we were dealing with all kinds of storms simultaneously. Um, and it's, it's been really good in that respect. Uh, the respect amongst the elders for each other is very high. Mm. The trust is very high. Uh, and when we walk out of a room or a meeting, uh, and have made a decision, there's never, you know, I've been in boards and groups before. It's like, okay, you can have the discussion in the room, but then the real meetings happen afterwards or the factions will uh, emerge and different things where people will try to, to do different things. That doesn't happen in the elder team. Uh, it really is a unified group of guys, and uh, which is very encouraging to me and should be very encouraging to the members of our church. Mm. Was there anything you learned about yourself kind of, Going through that in terms of just how you um, think about leadership, but also just what does it mean to follow Christ as you lead a church? Yeah, I think, you know, coming into a, any board, I've been on uh, school boards, Christian school boards before, uh, various different uh, boards at Arizona State, whatever. And it's tend to be more what I would say corporate leadership, where it's kind of like, you know, you lean in with your expertise that you bring from the workplace uh, and you apply that. And there are some places for that in a uh, church elder board, but really it's going through and understanding how does, what are the expectations of the elders? Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that was a lot of the, the onboarding and the training that we went through to, to talk through what our elders do. Now, there are times where you have to be very decisive, like I said, but uh, for the most part, for me, it was learning to, you know, slow down, listen, I'm, I'm a very decisive person. Like I see the problem. I, I have formulated a solution. I think we should move that direction, but it's more so for me, slowing down, listening, um, being very prayerful about that. And then, you know, engaging in the discussion, the dialogue, and then the solutions emerge from that, uh, that time mm. and giving space and hearing others. Uh, so I think I've really, leaned a lot more into that, which is helpful in all aspects of life, whether it be the elder board, whether it be our marriage, whether it be parenting adult children. Uh, I think that's been, been really phenomenal. Yeah. It's been interesting because we'll, um, you know, we, we break up our meetings. Uh, one meeting will be more kind of a business meeting and the other one will be more shepherding. And yep. it's funny every once in a while, not funny, but I mean, just it makes sense the way God works is um, one of us will share something that we're going through and it's like, I'm going through that too. Oh my gosh, I'm going through that too. And yep. then, and then we all get a chance to even just minister to each other, ask for advice, receive advice, um, receive prayer. Um, so there are many times I leave our, our elder meetings just so encouraged and felt so loved and seen, yeah. which, uh, which is huge. All right. Well, let's wrap up with some fun uh, rapid fire questions um, how do you like to Sabbath? Spending time together. Yeah. Um, 
we that's it's just something that we really enjoy. So it could be hanging out with other friends, but just taking a slower day of the week to just be more intentional of just hanging out together. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, Sundays are a good day normally for Sabbath. We try to, you know, lessen work around the house or, you know, be more intentional about planning dinner out with a friend after church, friends after church or what have you. Uh, and then, the, but that can switch too. So we kind of use Saturday and Sunday based on what's going on as a, they can pivot. But uh, yeah, I agree with Julie. It's just, uh, we love spending time together. Uh, we were just in San Diego a few weeks ago with some very close friends and, and just really enjoyed just that time. And, and it's kind of fun. We're similar, both couples, and we just enjoyed time in the hotel room, just you know, just hanging out and found a really cool boutique hotel to stay in. And, cool. and it was just really just, just such a blessing to, to spend time. Nice. Yeah. All right. What are the three most important apps on your phone? So if you hand me your phone and I'm going to take wipe off everything from your phone, but <laughs> I, you can only keep three apps. What are the three apps that you want to keep? We're very similar and there's two of them. Um, the telephone mm-hmm. and the ability to text. Uh-huh. So, so communication. <laughs> communication so strong. Yeah. Communication yeah. is strong. So we laugh. We go, yes, we truly use our phone as communication. As a phone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then for me, my family will all laugh at this as I love the weather. So I love the weather. That's, that is not the most unique answer. So there's other people on the elder team and their wives who love the weather. So I'll let you figure out who that is. What about you, Bruce? What's your third app? Yeah, we call her uh, the weather girl affectionately. (laughs) I keep saying, I'm going to get, I'm going to get her a green screen for Christmas and we're going to you know do a little weather. That would be awesome. Podcast. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. For me, I think it's, um, you know, I would say a podcast. I'm a, I'm a big podcast listener. So, you know, he's got my list of, of pat podcasts that are pretty active. Um, a really cool one right now that I'm just, I listen to on a regular basis, five minutes in church history. Cause I'm kind of a church history buff, and, oh. you know, breaks it down into these little five minute segments. It's just a lot of fun to, to listen to. Um, uh, I'm a, you know, LinkedIn, I, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, quite often for work and, and connections with school. I mentor students at ASU and, and do different things. So that's, um, kind of a good connection. And I do, I do like the book of faces too. So that's, uh, you know, book of faces, Facebook. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Speaking of LinkedIn, I, I looked you up on LinkedIn and you had like some new, I knew, I don't know if it was an interview or somebody, but it was for a, a program that I do mentor for, for the full-time MBA program. And I walked in and I'm like, I'm expecting an iPhone on a tripod. <laughs> and uh, it's like, they have that, that's the full studio. I'm like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> well, you look great. They, they did a great job. Um, they actually had to pat the my head to you know, <laughs> keep the shine off the, the well, dome. It's all about presentation. Absolutely. So you talked about San Diego. You talked about trying to vacation more. Um, but did you have a spot? Like if I handed you a blank check or a credit card, where would you go? Where, what's, where would you guys go for I'll, vacation? I'll let Julie say it, and I bet we're, we would be in full agreement. <laughs> So here in the U.S., it would definitely be Cannon Beach. That is our hands-down favorite in the United States to go to just to relax. Yeah. Um, so that would be our favorite. And for an international travel, it would be a trip to Israel. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. That's great. Um, so what makes you laugh more, physical or verbal comedy? I love dog videos. So fi- so, so physical. Yeah, physical. There's not much verbal in the dog videos. So, um. <laughs> 
There's some verbal comedy right there. That was perfect. You made me laugh. But if I start laughing, you know, everybody's like in the family. Yeah. Oh, mom's looking at dog videos. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, I, for me, I'd say it's, it's kind of a mix. Uh, I do like, um, satire and, uh, you know, really good comedy. Um, but then we got to throw the physical in every once in a while just to, yeah, to, to make it up. But that's good. So last one, favorite book of the Bible and why? Mine is, well, two, Genesis and Matthew. Oh, okay. And Genesis is because God God shows the plan from the very beginning. Mm. He establishes that and also teaches us a lot about the Israelites, which teaches us a lot about ourselves. And then Matthew and the genealogy of Christ and the beginning of Christ. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Bruce? Yeah. Great question. I was thought, I was thinking about that. Like, it tend to be what we're studying right now. <laughs> it really becomes a favorite, you know. So, First John is uh, we're right in the middle of it. And I'm so excited to go through Revelation and and uh, and you know take that apart with uh, Seth and Luke bring, taking us through that. I'm just I'm so excited to get a different perspective on the Book of Revelation. Yeah, yeah. we grew up in a time of uh, you know late great planet earth and you know the uh, you know the apocalypse and everything else and so it was very sensationalized and it's like no that's not revelation so i'm I'm really excited to go through through revelation oh well bruce and julie thank you so much for your time we love you so much thank you for your service to our church Uh, for those of you listening we love you so much thank you for for uh, taking the time to listen to this podcast Um, we hope that uh, you've been uh, informed and and probably entertained a little bit but uh, the goal is really just to be able to be more connected to those who are leading and serving here at church and uh, all in jesus name amen